started. So uh, this morning we're looking, as you all know, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer, and this morning we're going to be looking, looking at our Daily Bread, if you hadn't guessed from the screen uh, behind me. But before we do, let me, uh, let me open up in prayer and we'll get going, all right? Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for uh, a place to meet this morning that's, uh, that's safe, uh, that's cool, and has air conditioning during this hot weather. Uh, we take little things like that for granted often. Uh, but each day you provide for us. And so this morning as we're uh, looking at how you taught us to pray, as you just impress on us our need for you every day, to be with uh, Nick as us, uh, open our ears, open our hearts, uh, that we could learn more about you through this study on prayer. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so before we get started on going over uh, today's lesson, just kind of give you an introduction to myself. Uh, most of you know me, but my name is Nick, Nick Pappas. I've been, my wife and I have been coming here for two or three years now, um, and I teach English at a community college. That's my profession. And one thing about doing that is when I get in a, a classroom with students and regarding the topic that we are discussing, I know more than 99% of them, right? There's always one that knows the ins and outs of the specific author or whatever it is that may know a little bit more, but in general, I, I know more than them. So today, I'm coming to this as someone who is actually really new to Christianity. In fact, I would consider myself, I wouldn't have considered myself a Christian until maybe two years ago, and that's thanks to the help of, of my wife, Pastor Kerr, people in this church, and all sorts of other resources. In addition to that, I probably haven't been praying in any way that's recognizable, in a Christian sense, recognizable uh, from I've probably been doing that for less than a year. So I am certainly um, coming to this as someone who is, uh, well, to put it lightly, I think 99% of people in the room know more about this topic um, than I do. So it's a little bit intimidating, but it's also, it gives me a, uh, well, I will say that I wouldn't have accepted or wouldn't agree to do this if I didn't think I could provide something that may be interesting, even if it's sort of a nostalgic feeling for when you were new to all this stuff and how cute and naive it is and things like that. But uh, still, uh, I think I can provide something with this. So let's, let's look at this. And today we're getting into this idea of our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread, which is um, the, gets into the type of prayer that most people, um, I would say definitely non-Christians, but maybe some Christians think is at the heart of prayer, which I think is what we're talking about. We're talking about a give me prayer, right? We're asking for things. Uh, everything that preceded it was, was of a little bit of a different nature. So I think it's first, this is something that a lot of times people are interested in, but it's also a type of prayer that um, we have to understand what, what came before it to understand this aspect of it. So I want to just do a, a quick recap of, uh, sort of review of, of what came before. Uh, 
So when approaching this type, uh, today's verse, we really have to do it in a way that keeps in mind everything that came before, everything that preceded it. Uh, and so I made a couple notes of, of a reminder for that. So we must first understand that we're praying to our Father. And to quote J.I. Packer, the Father is always accessible to his children and is never too preoccupied to listen to what they have to say. There's also a sense here that the Father wants us to, to, to give what is good for us. And that's an aspect that we've already talked about in Sunday school. Um, we must recognize the Father is perfect, uh, um, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, good, all these things when we're approaching him. So we can approach with, without fear. Uh, and then the last piece is, is a recap, and this is sort of what Rob talked about last week. We must recognize that it's his will that will be done, and the fact that that's a very good thing. We, we, we would not want to be our will in the end. So to start with, my outline, kind of the basic structure for the lesson is going to be looking at these three words in, in reverse order. So our daily bread, we're going to start with looking at bread, then we're going to look at daily, then we're going to look at hour, and then there's a little bit of a sort of uh, case study type thing that I want to throw out there for you guys. Now, this is a long quote, but I think it's useful for us to remember uh, this, to go back to the basics. So I will, I will read this. So this is from Kent Hughes' commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. So the basic meaning of give us today our daily bread is that we are to pray for our physical needs. The early church fathers rejected the plain meaning and spiritualized the bread to mean the bread of communion. Jerome called this bread in his translation of the Bible super substantial bread, bread that is more than physical. And the main reason he did this, according to um, Hughes, was because it, it did not seem right after the first three upward petitions for God's glory to immediately switch to something so crass as asking for our material well-being. The first part of the prayer is completely selfless, and now to pray for bread seems so selfish and materialistic. However, despite all the Father's rationalizing and theolog theologizing, uh, this petition means exactly what it says. God wants us to pray for physical provision. So, I'll leave that up for a second. So I use this as a starting point because I think too quickly we can get off and start looking at all different things of, about what bread uh, means. It's still plugged in. Okay. Well, while he's doing that, we're familiar with this quote now, and
<laughs> jokes have to be told in context. Knock knock jokes don't work. Do you have one? Okay. <laughs> Well, instead of a joke, we can still discuss what we were talking about, even though it might be slightly distracting. Uh, this idea of physical provision. So it's important that we kind of come to terms with that first. Um, and even without the quote being up there, I would, based on your, uh, your memory there, uh, any thoughts or just comments about his, uh, Kent Hughes' his sort of interpretation or his thoughts right away on this topic? Yep, Phil. And, and I had thought this was a suffering in this life. Right. So that would take up all your time. Exactly. Can't have the the higher thoughts. We have to. There has to be physical provision. Um, good. Any other thoughts related to this? Yep. I mean, that's, that's the other, uh, sort of another point there. It's a reminder of all these things. Yes, sir. And that was my, the big point related to daily was the idea of dependence. So we'll get to that. But this idea that um, this dichotomy, I think, is interesting. Because I think that's where a lot of the, the commentaries were looking at when they're, like Kent Hughes, talks about this. And he says, yes, it's about the, the, the physical bread. But then later he does talk about, okay, it's spiritual bread. We're talking about eternal feast. We're talking about all these other ways that bread is used in Scripture. And yet we need to remember this piece for all those sort of um, ideas. Yep, Phil. That's the other, and I find when I'm looking at these things, and that's why it's helpful to, to read in front of us, it seems like a lot of times we're pushed in one direction, and then we have to be pulled back into another one. So it's like, oh, this is true, but only in the context of that piece. Um, and I, I kind of, the way I think of this sometimes is I have, in class, I have, uh, let's say I'm giving an exam, and I can tell that half of the class is really, really nervous about this. And they're, they're, just, they're nervous to the point that they, they maybe can't function. And the other class, a half, about half, maybe there's a few in the middle, but well, let's not talk in gradations right now. Uh, the other half is completely nonchalant and almost apathetic to the fact, like, that's fine, I'll do, you know, this is going to be great, or whatever. And I, I always want to sort of be able to separate the class out and say, okay, for those of you who are really nervous about this idea, it's not going to be that bad. It's not that important. It's worth 20% of your grade. Yeah, that's important. But maybe if you do get 50% on it, you're still not going to fail the course. And kind of talk encouragement and say, like, really, take it easy. You, you, you kind of know this stuff. We can work through it. 
I want to talk to those students and say that. On the other side of the class, I want to say, this is really important. <laughs> right? If you don't do this, you probably won't pass the class. Right? And my, the, the message is kind of the same. I want people to do well in this, but I also don't want them to overdo it. So I feel like a lot of times when I'm reading uh, scripture, and especially when I'm reading uh, Paul, I see that he's kind of doing that. He's like, oh, you think this is true? No, you're wrong. And then the other side, he's like, well, you think this is true? Well, you're also wrong. And it's hard for me to kind of piece that out, but it, that's, it's all about sort of the audience and how we're, we're working through this. So I think that's, that's great. We don't want to overstate things. So just a couple points that I made, because we kind of touched upon them. The physical body does matter. I think that's key. We just talked about that. The fact that God works in all things and that God cares about uh, one of the most common types of food is very humbling, and it's a reminder that, that, we, um, uh, that, that God is in everything, and, and that's sort of a humbling experience. And then here is the next one. So we kind of were talking about bread. Now let's look at daily. So it's our daily bread. And of course there is lots of discussion about this term and I didn't go into it in too, too much detail but the, the basic gist of it is, is it's something called a hapax redominum which is a, a Greek term which I hadn't heard since I was an undergrad studying Anglo-Saxon texts. But basically what the term is is that this word, if I'm understanding it correctly, um, only appears in scripture once in this context. At least this, it sounds like there are, there are roots of the word that appear other places, but this actual word only appears once, technically twice, because it's also in Luke's gospel in the same exact context, so it doesn't provide us any new context to understand it. So there's some difficulty understanding what exactly the translation should be with our daily bread. Some people look at it, and I think most people are now saying that it really is asking for tomorrow's bread today. So this is that... But regardless of how we look at it, the same uh, meaning can be applied. We're asking for one day's worth of something. Whether we're asking for tomorrow's bread or whether we're asking for today's bread, I guess it would depend if you were praying in the morning or in the evening, possibly. Um, but that's sort of a sidetrack that I didn't want to get into, but I did. Uh, the main idea here, though, is depend on the Lord, right? And this is what um, was already brought up here. This idea that it's, it's daily. It doesn't say uh, give us our weekly bread or monthly bread or yearly bread. It's every day we need to be reminded to do this, that we need to be reminded to rely um, on, on the Lord here. Does anyone want to make any connections to this before I get to the next one? Or sorry, yes. Exodus 1. Okay. Okay. 16. <laughs> I, that's, I knew that's what you meant. Provide you with food every day. Um, 
I will provide a, a, a mana or bread in the morning and then quail or meat in, in the evening. Um, but the premise is that you can't save it up. You can't keep it till the next day un unless it's the day before the Sabbath, then you're allowed to, to do so. Um, and of course, what do they do? They try to save the bread. Uh, they try to save the quail. Um, and they don't listen to this. But it's clear that what's um, sort of the purpose of that is that they're trying to, the Lord is testing them. In fact, it says that in Deuteronomy. The Lord is testing them to, to see if they listen to, to his word. And the interesting part about this that I find fascinating is that it says at the end of Exodus 16 that they were provided with, they ate manna and quail for 40 years in the wilderness. So even though they didn't listen, and they continued to do this and not obey uh, the, the commandment, they were, still, um, they were still taken care of. So that, that brings us back to this idea of the Lord as Father. So we could go into more detail, obviously, but let's look at another piece for our daily bread, this idea of uh, sustenance on a daily basis. So this is Proverbs 38 through 9, and I will read this. So it's, give me neither poverty nor riches, feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and profane the name of my Lord. So how does this apply to this idea of, of dependence? Or what other things can we get out of that? Dave? What was the first word? Malignant. Okay, malignant, yes. Hey, hey, other Lonnie? Right, and it's the idea of being content, being reliant. But it's interesting, again, that the, the, what's being prayed for here is essentially to not be rich and also to not be poor. So it's, there's a sense that almost we should be praying for that and that it's in some ways 
it becomes a lot harder for us to do the things that we're asked to do, to obey, and specifically to depend on the Lord when we have uh, sort of uh, this plethora of, of resources. And I think that's really interesting. This is kind of a step before this idea of dependence. This was clear in the Bible. This is clear in Proverbs that this is necessary, that there, there, there is a struggle. And we can see that throughout, uh, throughout in the New Testament, where we talk about the difficulty of someone that has wealth to, um, to, to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? That is, a, that is a, a clear point there. We're not saying it's impossible, but we're saying that there is difficulty there, and that's why this makes sense. Yeah, the idea that this is a, it, to be dependent, to, ha- to feel like you need to pray for those things is a blessing in a sense. So it's, it's, it's certainly, yes, Teresa. But I, but I would ask this, that even the, the, the wealthy person that is able to distribute and do really good things with the money, do you think that that person has a more difficult time depending on the Lord for provisions and things than, than the, 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 uh, the teacher in Africa who is praying for the internet to come through, right? So this still applies there, uh, that there is this very this is a great difficulty to, to depend on things.
true, but I think the self-made person also has this idea, just the term itself is, is problematic because there's a sense that I did this, right? Um, and you're saying that I've essentially It's different anyways. Certainly different um, in terms of that. All right. You want to add something? Okay. So I was thinking of this, and this was kind of my notes, and I was struggling with this a bit, and this is kind of what people are getting at, and I know this, and it, it gets at kind of coming up, and kind of we have a, a a case study where I want to discuss this a little bit, but to, just for us to think about sort of how we're doing with this, and I was thinking about savings accounts and things like that, where I'm essentially storing up things for, to some extent, for fear that I won't have things for tomorrow, right? I, I, I'm, I, I don't want to, you know, I want to be able to, to pay the mortgage or whatever it is. I want to be able to do these things, and I'm, I save my money. I, I'm not trusting that things are going to be provided. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that necessarily, but this was something that I was questioning as I was looking at this. Uh, to say that basically, if we look at Exodus 16 example, I know the point wasn't necessarily that you can't have anything, save any food for tomorrow and have that idea. The, the, the point was more about obeying the law and, and testing um, the Israelites, but still there's a sense there, and we can't deny that, that this is, there's something about not keeping things and not trying to save and not trying to um, sort of hoard things for fear that the Lord won't provide. And I know this is, I don't know, sort of, this is something I was struggling with and looking at this, but just sort of a question I wanted to ask. I don't know if anyone wants to answer that or if we're going to get into a whole other thing, but just wanted to bring that up. Yeah, and I think that's kind of working through that piece. And then when it becomes, I think it's a lot easier also when, if you're applying this to yourself and you're responsible for yourself and saying, okay, I'm not going to, I can try this. I don't want to depend on it. But then when it's your family, your children, then all of a sudden it becomes a lot more difficult to sort of try to apply that. Sorry, Bill. Sometimes we have to wait for the Lord 
Right. Right. So we have to have patience too to sort of figure this thing out. Twist it a little bit, right? No, I think you're absolutely right. And that was, again, I'm going back, you can tell I was reading this a lot yesterday, Exodus 16, but it was interesting looking through this. God didn't just drop the bread onto the plates of the Israelites. He didn't put it directly in their stomach or something like that. He said, you have to go gather it. So there was a sense there that even though he was clearly providing and making it very easy for them to some extent, I don't know if that's the right word there, but just go out and get this, there was a sense that they still had, part of what they were told to do was you need to go out and do this and gather it. So he's providing, but there is still this element that they had to go and actually do this stuff. Um, and I think that's what you're getting at there too, yeah. So that was... Now, we're going to look at this idea of our. Um, something not always talked about necessarily with this um, but it's clear that that the uh, verse is give us this day our daily bread, not give me um, this day my daily bread. It's our. So what implications can we get from that, I think, is, is why why the use of the the, um, the plural version, first person plural there. And I'm going to put a couple of points out here. Uh, so one, there's a sense that we should be praying for the community. Um, there's a sense that we should be building mutuality among us. And there's also an implication that we will, uh, that by praying this, we're also 
uh, in some sense, agreeing that we're going to provide bread for friends, um, sort of brothers and sisters in need, uh, because we're praying for our daily bread. Um, and so there's that element, too, I think, that's, that runs through this. And in fact, Martin Luther saw a very social element in this. And he, he basically believed that this verse extols us to fight against business practices that exploit the poor, thereby taking away their ability to acquire their daily bread. Uh, and then this is a quote from Keller. It says, for Luther, to pray our daily bread is to pray for a prosperous and just social order. So in that sense, there's this element that we are praying not just for ourselves, um, and we're not praying just for other people, but we're also sort of implicitly uh, praying that we will help those around us and try to prevent or provide uh, in some way sort of a, a, I guess you could say, a society that, that allows this to happen. Uh, at least that is what sort of Luther was, was getting at when he did some commentary on this. Any thoughts on this one? Because I think we're not sure we have. Yeah. Give me, give me, give me. Yeah. Yeah. It might sound a little bit weird to us, right? Uh, but I think at the same time, the gospel doesn't shy away from making some radical statements about certain things. So if that's what was intended, give me, then they would have said that too. So there's that piece of it. Yeah. Just kind of a, some thoughts on that. So now I want to get into uh, one of the books that was uh, that was the book that was given to me before I did this was Derek Thomas's uh, Praying the Savior's Way, and he writes, "Give us this daily bread" is code language for Lord, help me to be content with whatever you are pleased to give me. I will not ask for more than I need. I will not ask for more than I need. And that's from Derek Thomas Praying the Savior's Way. And then I just put his quote up there. So this is his saying. This is in his view. This is what this is saying. Um, and of course, the question I have when I look at this and say, "Okay, how do I know what I need?" <laughs> like so, that was part of the, the problem there. Uh, and that's kind of the next piece I want to look at. Kind of gets at that. Sorry, Dave. That's possible. True. think so. But I think at least, at least to some extent we're talking about, and I tried to frame it this way, but it certainly goes in different directions, physical provision to some extent. But that doesn't necessarily exclude anything else. So I think certainly the prayer is asking us to pray for everything, um, including wh what else we were thinking of maybe. Mm -hmm. Right. To some extent, yeah, it, it, for the sake of argument, if we focus on, I mean, those things is kind of, to me, it seems like, yes, we should be praying for them. But I'm interested in also kind of discussing the, the physical provisions, but I think you're exactly right. It does get into that. But it, it gets, uh, gets a lot more tricky to discuss, I think. But it, I think it's there, yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> Right. And that's right. 
And those are those. Thank you. You also get the the idea that those things are also touched upon later in the Lord's Prayer. And this one is clearly focusing on the provision here. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So we're to pray for all we need, but at the same time we're given more. I think that's definitely implied. Um, and that's so. Now I want to kind of get to this point. Now this was something that was. It started to sort of trouble me, and I'll kind of break this down. So the Women's Bible Group was using a book called Polly Miller's Praying Life. Um, so I saw it on the table, and I picked it up, and there was a chapter on uh, chapter in that book called What We Don't Pray For, Our Daily Bread. And what was interesting in that chapter was it was Miller was kind of making the point, and it seems to be true to me, but I don't know if it's true across the board. I really don't know people pray for, obviously. Um, but he makes the point that many Christians, and I won't say most here, kind of categorize, sort of compartmentalize aspects of their life. And he says, so basically people think that we pray for things like health, faith, unemployment, day-to-day -day sustenance, patience, all those things, right? These are things that we kind of pray for, but he's suggesting that most of the time, people don't pray for things like a summer home, a new car, a bigger TV, collectible books. That was my addition there. <laughs> <laughs> Vacations, etc. cetera. Um, and, and I think that kind of runs true. And his point was that basically people say, OK, go to the Lord for these things. But these other things, I don't think the Lord really cares about my Summer home was the big one that he talked about. So that's, I'm going to kind of look at the case study piece for that. But the Lord doesn't really, maybe he doesn't care about those things, or maybe it's not something that I need, so I'm not going to pray for it, but I'll go through all this other process. So I will consult a realtor, I'll consult a financial expert, I'll do all these things sort of in the, in the secular realm, and I'll work, and I'll earn this money, um, and in the sense that I'm doing this on my own, and therefore, I've compartmentalized. And of course, he's critical of this, this process. And I really think he's hit upon something important here. But I don't really know what to do about it. So that was kind of uh, where I was going with this. So I kind of, I took this from Miller. This is my writing, but kind of try to think through this sort of case study aspect. So I'm just going to present this and then see what people think, because again, this is something, and, and, and this is not to, uh, to point to a summer home as this sort of the ultimate thing to look at or, or being problematic or anything like that. It's the example that he used. Um, so, so a married couple gets the idea for a vacation home, doesn't really matter where the idea comes from, they like the idea. They imagine relaxing on the beach, getting away from the city noise and pollution. Purchasing such a home is, at this point in their lives, financially realistic. Now, the couple is Christian and is familiar with the Lord's Prayer and Derek Thomas's translation of Give Us the Daily Bread, which runs, Lord, help me to be content with whatever you are pleased to give me. I will not ask for more than I need. So... And this is where my talk ends, and then you can tell me how to do this. Um, 
how do they apply this understanding to their actions and to their prayers? How does this fit in? Because I really... Uh, so, go ahead. Whoever wants to go first, go ahead. the correct interpretation, apparently, <laughs> so we can now move on. As long as the, the pastor can stay there, it's good. Good. Yeah, I mean, this is it. Dave? I think that's okay. Oh, 
No, I think it, and what I, <laughs> he's like, sorry, it's not going to happen now. Or you want it? And one of the things, just kind of a quick point on that, is this idea, as you, you quoted Matthew, it's the introduction to the Lord's Prayer, that the Lord knows what we need before we ask. Um, and that's really encouraging because we know that even when we pray for things that we don't need, um, or it's encouraging because, one, it gives a sense that we can't, and this is tricky, I don't know if I want to say this, but you can't, uh, can't really pray wrong in a sense. In other words, you go through this process, the most important thing is to come to this and actually pray and go through the process. So it shouldn't be, it's you're, you're coming to your father. We went through the sort of the beginning of the prayer, our father. So we're coming to a father who's going to do what's best for us, regardless sort of, of how, what we think we want and need. So there's that aspect of it. Um, and of course, God is everything, right? So he, he knows all these things. Um, and I think, I think this is a Tim, Tim Keller piece where he says, to pray, you would ask for the things, I'm sorry, God will give you all that you ask for if you knew everything that God knew. Right? So there's this sense that and we kind of want to get, in, get into that piece, but yeah. Um, and I see also what I see happening here, and I was wondering if this happened. I asked my wife, and she was like, oh, kind of looking at me as whether I was sort of making stuff up. Sometimes I read stuff, and I read. Um, and she's grown up with this stuff. You know, her father's a pastor, so she's kind of, all this stuff is, is, is sort of part of her. So she doesn't really think in terms of theoretical pieces and things like that. So I asked her about this quote. It says, so do people really argue as J.I. Packer instructs, by telling God, quote, telling God why we have asked, why, uh, sorry, telling God why what we have asked for seems to us for the best in light of what we know 
our own goals, sorry, by what we know God's own goals to be. So let me repeat that because I messed it up. So do we argue with, uh, with God as J.I. Packman instructs in our prayers by telling God why what we have asked for seems to be for the best in light of what we know God's own goals to be? Maybe that's why she gave me a look when I read this. Uh, but uh, the idea is I'm thinking, and, and I think this is somewhat, this is what we're doing kind of, and we're not, obviously not praying, but we're kind of looking at it and saying, okay, this is what God's will is through his scriptures. So now we're kind of arguing with him um, in a sense to say, like, this is what I want, and here's why I should get it based on the scriptures, or here's how it fits with your will. And I think that's the correct approach. Um, uh, to some extent, and that's essentially what we're doing. So I thought it was interesting to look at. Um, and then Tim Keller talks about this, and this is the last quote here, uh, that those that practice this theological reasoning in their prayers go to Scripture uh, for what pleases God. They find that it helps them to revise, sometimes deepening, sometimes lessening, their desires and purposes. So there's a sense that we can we'll definitely go to prayer about the summer home, but as you go through this, and maybe as you have a theological argument with God, presumably, uh, that you might come to sort of realize like sort of how to arrive at that. John. Which? No, that was that was the partial quote by J.I. Packer. So it was mostly J.I. Packer, so no, it was not me. So, as we're kind of coming to a bit of a close here, one thing that I found um, encouraging to some extent, although it's tempting to look at this, is this idea of does prayer change things? And this is pretty much, for the most part, kind of outside the scope of, of this, this talk. But I think when we're talking about prayer and asking for things, there's always that question that comes up. Uh, and I, I like the, Tim Keller's approach to this. This is his book on prayer. And his answer is, obviously, in the ultimate sense, God is, is in charge of everything that occurs. Our prayers could not possibly wrest control of any part of the universe away from God. However, it is part of God's goodness and appointment that he allows the world to be susceptible to our prayers. How he does this how he maintains control of history and yet still makes human prayer and action responsible within history is one of the most practical mysteries of the Bible. 
and you get through this whole sort of rabbit trail of like causation and all these aspects. It's the sense that, but we're praying, and what are we praying for? We're praying for, maybe we're praying for a summer home, and in that process, we get changed, um, and in that sense, we got what we really needed, which wasn't the summer home, was that change, which came through prayer, which was what prayer was supposed to be in the first place, but then we continue to go down that line, and, uh, but I think it's uh, fascinating to think about anyways, uh, and then he continues, because he says, one of the most practical mysteries, and I was like, well, wait a second, what is, how is this practical? Uh, I never thought of uh, sort of a fatalist or a, a predestination viewpoint as being practical uh, in some sense. But Keller goes on, and this is a quote. If we believe that God was in charge of our actions, oh, sorry, if we believe that God was in charge and our actions meant nothing, it would lead to discouraged passivity. If, on the other hand, we really believe that our actions changed God's plan, it would lead to paralyzing fear. If both are true, however, we have the greatest incentive for diligent effort, and yet we can always sense God's everlasting arms around us. In the end, we can't frustrate God's good plans for us. And that really runs true to me, because there's a sense that, one, If I don't think prayer has any effect, I won't pray. What's the point? On the other hand, if I thought prayer actually changed things the way I expected them or thought they would, I would probably pray less than if uh, I didn't think they would do anything at all because that would be incredibly scary to think that, oh, I want this, and then I would actually get it in the sense and then one that the I need to think about that a lot more when it goes. No, that's this idea of collective prayer and living in that idea. Not something I had really thought about. So this is, thank you for that. Hopefully that was helpful. Um, so we are just about at that point. Uh, but I really, it, I find this to be, and everything that people have said 
particularly helpful as we look at this. Yet, um, and to kind of skip through a little bit here, um, to sort of kind of close with this. So this is the line we quoted from the beginning of the uh, of the prayer. And when we pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentile uh, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So that's the encouragement there. And he says, pray like this. And then my closing point, Jesus says, pray like this. Lord and Savior says, pray. So essentially, last point here is that you should pray. So let us close in prayer. Uh, Holy Father, thank you for providing us through your word, knowledge of prayer that allows us to approach you with confidence, knowing that you will hear us and that you will answer our prayers in accordance with your will in a manner possibly different, but always better than we could have ever imagined. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.